Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Supermarcado Bros Video Game Music Podcast. How's it going everybody? Thanks for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. This is going to be a very relaxing episode. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Yeah, as Carl mentioned, uh, this should be a pretty fun episode. It's actually a funny story. Uh, It was Monday of the week that we were going to record, and we had no idea what our episode topic is. We usually don't cut it that close. Um, And so Carl and I were kind of going back and forth. Yeah, we had an idea, but I kind of made the decision that what what I was preparing for that topic just wasn't quite cutting the snuff, in my opinion. So I told Will, Will, is there any other thing we could come up with? And And we realized that... It's the 212th episode of the show, and we haven't done an episode on water or underwater music. I think that's absolutely crazy. We've done every other possible genre. You know, we did uh, lava music. We did desert music. We've done so many different topics on the show in all the years we've done it, but we've never done uh, an episode on underwater music. Today's episode is called Under the Sea. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of fun. We try to make sure that uh, in sort of the sequence of a season that we're not just doing all the same types of episodes so they're mm-hmm. not just fo- spotlights on singular soundtracks or just spotlights on composers um, you know we, we try to mix it up a little bit and uh, one of the ways that we sort of like to create episode topics is by in-game locations so these a lot of these games couldn't be more different from one another Very true. But this is all music that takes place either in an underwater level or when you're swimming yeah some of these I think uh, might just be near water but for most of these are underwater what's so cool is anytime we do a topic like this it, it's kind of an excuse to play some of the best music ever for video games and that's kind of what we're doing today you know a, a topic of underwater anyone who's ever played a video game knows that there's a lot of games that feature sections underwater and that means there's a lot of great underwater themes so we're not shying away from some of the classics today but we're also not shying away from uh, a few examples of things that are a little bit less famous Well, yeah, and sort of the elephant of the room, and we kind of have to do this with a lot of video game music, it really all goes back to Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if that game wasn't so successful and didn't utilize both an underwater level that was really fun and natural Mm -hmm. with great mechanics and great music, I honestly don't think it would have been such a prevalent part of video games. I think Super Mario Brothers just set the standard of if you want a successful 2D game, you know, this is the kind of... I'm really excited for today's episode because I feel like underwater music has the potential to be almost the most transformative of a location as far as scoring that location of any location I can think of, even more so than Desert, which seems to be one that, you know, when you hear uh, desert music, it puts you in that location so clearly underwater music has this huge potential when you think about what it's like to swim underwater it's such a unique uh feeling and there's really no other point in your life that feels that way you know i was actually reading some interesting things i was curious what people thought about uh the idea of scoring underwater for video games and i was reading this essay actually um by a gentleman by the name of uh, michael de simone he wrote an essay called immersion through submersion and he talked very uh, in depth about how musically how video game composers over history were able to convey the feeling of being underwater and, and it's really interesting to read so if anyone's curious um, I can throw that link to you guys for sure well in it, it again I think it is fitting talking about Super Mario Brothers because uh, the first piece of music that Koji Kondo composed for that game was the underwater yeah theme. and we're gonna we're gonna get to that yeah like I said we're gonna play some classics today some a little bit lesser known 
one, but every single track is wonderful. I can't wait to get into this great music. Uh, what you guys heard in the beginning was from New Super Mario Brothers Wii. And that same theme was actually used again in New Super Mario Brothers U. Uh, but the composers for Wii were uh, Shiho Fuji, who I believe composed that track, Ryo Nagamatsu, and Kenta Nagata. Some good composers there. And that was Underwater classic Mario theme there. So we're going to move on. We're going to start the day off with another absolute classic. Really, one of the strongest water themes I can think of if I wanted to show somebody uh, how to compose effective water music. This would be definitely one of the definitive tracks I would show them. This is Aquatic Ambiance from Donkey Kong Country, really starting the episode off strong today. Composed by Dave Wise. This came out in 94 for the Super Nintendo. Let's take a listen to Aquatic Ambiance. Absolutely beautiful. You guys are listening to Aquatic Ambiance from Donkey Kong Country, composed by the wonderful David Wise. A great way to start off this episode. Uh, this, for me, is uh, not not only if you're talking about water music, but just video game music in general, um, one of the most definitive 16-bit pieces that I can think of. Uh, Donkey Kong Country was a game that I spent just hours and hours playing as a kid. Um, absolutely love this game and soundtrack. One thing that I think is interesting about aquatic ambiance is it's really the strongest example I can think of uh, of this particular style of scoring underwater music. There's a lot of different ways you can write something that, that seems like it fits underwater. This is going with, as the title suggests, ambience. It's using um, long sustaining pads, it's using dynamics, and kind of modern production techniques 
to get you into that mood and to kind of soak in that uh, mystery and uncertainty. And when we think about levels, underwater levels, they were so contrasting to the, the above ground levels of, of these games. So for example, a side-scrolling game like this, these underwater levels, you kind of, it was up to you where you were going to go. It was it was a little bit harder to know what to do and a little bit more challenging. And I think the music uh, conveys that vastness and that mystery really well. Absolutely. I think there are some concrete, you know, specific musical techniques that at this point may be considered cliche, mm -hmm. but definitely are, are present in this piece that I want to talk about. One of which is the use of those delayed, um, pretty much every instrument or specifically any kind of percussive line. Um, there's tons of delay on it. Dun, 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 dun. And that dun, helps dun, to convey dun, the vastness dun, 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 dun. of the ocean. Yeah, the kind of echo effect. Um, another thing that to me feels very specific to this undersea quality is separate from just the fact that the natural composition, you know, really captures the emotional quality, are the kind of um, portamento slide notes mm -hmm. that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, all, every note is kind of slid into and it's very loose. To me, that's actually... Um, it, you know, it may be just sort of a natural thing, but it almost feels like a continuation of some of the ideas that Koji Kondo put forth. Because sure. in, I think, both the original uh, underwater theme and the one from uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, there is a little bit of that sliding mm -hmm. um, on some of But the really, notes. in general, I would say that when this came out in 1994, this kind of represented a new take on underwater music. And, you know, the SNES was responsible for this even being possible. You know, we talked to David before when we interviewed him, and he said he wanted to emulate the Korg wave station synth that he had, and a lot of composers had at this time. And that's what he was going for in this track, and he did a wonderful job. And really, think about emulating that kind of a synth on the NES. It wouldn't have been possible. So... You know, because he had those tools at his disposal, he was able to create something a little bit more subtle, a little bit more ambient, and something that feels like it's kind of maybe the bridge between the era of Super Mario Brothers and maybe where we are today. So we're going to hear a lot of different ways that composers can evoke um, underwater Well, vibes. I also think just like the, those harmonies, even if you took it away from, you know, the finished production piece with all the kind of dynamic mm -hmm. control and the different timbres, honestly, just the voicing of that initial chord i think it's a minor nine chord having that ninth in sort of the top voice and yeah. having that pitch be sort of the drone as the chords move around it is i think incredibly striking there is this vastness to it but there's a level of uncertainty because that harmony you know it's dark but slightly wistful there, there there's something about it that there's something kind of ethereal about it, which I think is fitting for sort of the vastness of the well, sea. Well, it's a great point. Talking about ethereal, the last thing I want to say before we move on is that droning, that fading and that kind of alarm sound that you hear, that yeah. is so effective. I mean, the thing is, we've played this track so many times, we've talked about it so many times, there's still more things to say. Yeah, th that's that's one of those kind of uh, shiver moments, mm -hmm. that, yeah. that that drone that you're talking about. To me, it's almost like a, ray, a beam of sunlight, you know, sparkling through the water or something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now let's move on to something a little bit more obscure, uh, definitely as opposed to Donkey Kong Country. This is an NES game. It's Tiny Toon Adventures. Uh, there were a few different Tiny Toons games. This one came out for the NES and it was composed by some great composers. We have Jun Funahashi, Masai Nakashima, 
and Satako Minami. Let's take a listen to Undersea. This is a beautiful track that reminds me of, uh, it's kind of in the style of Koji Kondo's underwater theme for Super Mario Brothers. So let's take a listen to, it's obviously a, a waltz, or I guess 6-8. It's either 3-4 or 6-8, which a lot of these pieces of music are going to be today. Undersea from Tiny Toon Adventures. That's a nice short loop there for you guys. This is Undersea from Tiny Toon Adventures. I know we played a lot of that aquatic ambience. That was a very long uh, form, but this is a very short form for the NES composed by Jun Funahashi, Masai Nakashima, and Satako Minami. This is beautiful. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's getting into the territory, uh, you know, compositional quality of Super Mario Brothers, obviously, but, you know, it's definitely inspired by that, and it's fun to hear composers try to take that and do something new with it. You know, similar techniques as far as having the climb arpeggio bass that's a similar thing you hear in the Mario Brothers underwater theme um but this track is, is more concerned. I would say it's a little bit more vibey than the Mario Brothers Underwater theme. You have longer notes with some delay, uh, some effects. It is a beautiful track, but uh, it's kind of trying to do different things. Because well, the thing is, it, it isn't a waltz. You know, it's in 3-4 time, but a waltz really mm-hmm. requires... You're right, it's kind of like a one. That, yeah, it's that like that a heavy one. This doesn't yeah. have any dance quality to it. I think that arpeggio is really beautiful and helps capture the underwater quality in a different way. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is clearly an influence the nature of these harmonies uh, they feel very it, it could just be kind of like a continuation of like the Looney Tunes era stuff but mm-hmm. to me especially in this uh context it really feels like it's evoking the romantic era um some of those beautiful you know uh, diminished chords really make it feel yeah, you know, like one you know. reason i was so excited to do this and i was a little bit unprepared you only had a couple days to prepare this playlist which is uh not you know not the normal amount of time but i had such a great time listening to music that i hadn't heard before listening to underwater there's so many great playlists that people make of underwater video game music it was just a lot of fun obviously i would say about 60 percent of this playlist was stuff we just immediately knew we wanted to do as soon as we thought of doing underwater uh, but there was that was an example of a track i'd actually never heard before so it was fun to discover that uh let's move on though um we're going to move on to something a little bit more modern this is super mario galaxy 2 this track was composed by Mihito Yakoda, and you know there's a lot of galaxies that take place near water, but this is actually a version of a piece of music that is the underwater rendition. So when you're actually submerged in water, uh, the music changes and the instrumentation kind of kind of changes up. So this is Starshine Beach underwater version, which I don't think we've played before on the podcast. It's really cool from Mario Galaxy 2. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
Such a beautiful piece of music. Uh, this is Starshine Beach Underwater version from Super Mario Galaxy 2, composed by Mihito Yokota. And it's basically like a stripped down, a little bit more vibey rendition of Starshine Beach. You know, the orig- the actual Starshine Beach has a bass and drums and more instruments and stuff. And I think, it, yeah, the, the main instruments are, kind of, it's like this octave, like flute and accordion yeah. thing. Where here you just kind of have that kalimba in that like synthy pad and it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. The kalimba is kind kind of used throughout both of these games it's like a reoccurring instrument usually it evokes kind of a more innocent quality um it happens a lot of times with kind of like themes for the lumas or you know the storybook music it's it's usually kind of has like a childlike quality to it yeah. but here it works in a different way where it almost um it's a great way of evoking underwater not really with any musical cliches i would say it's all very innovative it's it, i guess it's just it's more about the contrast between when you hear the bigger mm-hmm. version something like this i think the idea was more how can we make it feel as small and intimate as possible as if some of those channels are being you know lost underwater well, yeah, it's definitely worth mentioning that this track was composed to be above water it's composed for the entire area so I I guess overall it does evoke a tropical feel and a mario kind of an aesthetic and that's that's definitely fitting but yeah there's nothing really in this composition that feels um strictly underwater but the the rendition that we heard um definitely evoke that yeah Yeah. the instrumentation is so perfect i think the combination of it and it's one of those things that's so great that just kind of works out um so much of the music in the galaxy games is about sounding ethereal and spacey you know Mm -hmm. because the games take place in outer space um but they get to use a lot of those same kind of techniques also really evoke underwater well you know what's so wonderful is because the game isn't all in outer space it's like yeah it's in space but this is a is a little small little galaxy that is this tropical island so you're able to do the tropical island cliches and then there might be a desert level there might be a lava level but what i'm saying is that uh the music for something being underwater it's a lot of the same emotions that you're trying to convey that vastness that sense of kind of mystery and wonder yeah this was by far the biggest source of inspiration for my glitter beach uh galaxy track that i composed for our um of cosmic proportions uh very very good stuff let's move on we're going to go back to the super nintendo here we're going to move on to dragon quest 6 composed by koichi sujiyama let's take a listen to a very beautiful track very mysterious uh this is for me it kind of feels like this is a different school of composing for underwater and we're going to hear a couple tracks that kind of have this take on it we'll talk about it after we play it let's take a listen to wandering through the silence beautiful you guys are listening to a very different piece of music than what we've heard so far wandering through the silence 
This is from Dragon Quest VI, composed by Koichi Sujiyama. Wonderful composer. This is kind of showing a different side of being underwater. Kind of the desolation that you might feel if you're all alone in an unknown underwater area. Uh, so this is by far more tragic than especially what we heard in the last piece of music. Uh, but it's very effective. And, you know, it's worth mentioning that this is a very different type of game than something like Super Mario Galaxy 2. Mario Galaxy 2 is a very fun platforming action game where Dragon Quest is an RPG game that requires there's a lot more um, probably patience and and um, and thought maybe so you know this music is fitting that well what do you think about this track I love it I absolutely love it I think it captures um, the scene perfectly uh, you know something I love about these kinds of episodes because a lot of times when we're focusing on soundtracks Carl and myself, we may not have played the game or played all of it or be very familiar with what's happening. So oftentimes Mm -hmm. we find ourselves only discussing the musical aspects of the piece and not really how it works in the game. But what's important, you know, about video game music, it's not supposed to exist absolutely by itself. It's underscoring an entirely other medium. And so I like episodes like this because we can talk about how effective, because even if we haven't played the game, we generally understand the concept Mm -hmm. of its role in the game and we've all played uh, levels underwater levels and that kind of thing um, I think this is uh, capturing it just spot-on we're hearing a lot of um, familiar techniques the use of those delayed rhythms uh, something interesting here um, is the use of that bubble sound that it's kind of like taking a sound effect and making it somewhat well, what's musical. so great about that is no matter what he does musically it's going to feel at home for an underwater level because the entire track has these bubbles right underneath the 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 music so you know i i think even if those bubbles were muted this would still work but when you add those bubbles it completes the picture well, the other thing that we have to remember about stuff like that, in a modern game, if you wanted a sound effect like that, you would just add it. You would just That's have true. a layer of sound effects. But back then, you know, even we think of, you know, compared to the NES, the Super Nintendo having eight sound channels, that's kind of a lot. But to just have a droning ambient sound effect, you know, it does take up a channel. And oftentimes the composer was the sound designer. So I, I think the the idea here is that, well, if we're going to have this bubble sound effect, mm-hmm. we might as well incorporate it as a percussion element into the piece so that we're saving channels, sort of killing two birds with one stone. But I think it's kind of, it's one of those things that I don't think people would come to without those limitations. But the musical effect is really wonderful and kind of fun. I miss that in games where kind of the sound effects are integrated with the music all that's just a great example to play because this is an example of a fairly serious track from you know just a pretty serious rpg uh and if we were to play (laughs) a serious track from an rpg in 2016 it would not sound this fun that's for sure so you know times have changed for sure uh we're going to move on to a game that will and myself absolutely adore this is metroid prime uh probably our favorite game and this is a track that Oh my gosh, I could, there's so much I could say about this whole experience. The first time I played this particular part of the game, it's the Underwater Frigate Reactor Core. It really stops you in your tracks. It, it's emotional, it's melancholy, it's wondrous, it's super, super beautiful. It's just one of those moments I will never forget. Entering this area is just absolutely unforgettable. This is composed by Kenji Yamamoto. We'll talk more about this track after we play it. This is Underwater Frigate Reactor Core from Metroid Prime. (laughs) 
I love this piece of music. You guys are listening to Underwater Frigate Reactor Core for Metroid Prime, which came out in 2002 for the GameCube. This is composed by series veteran Kenji Yamamoto. Uh, what I love about this track is it does remind me of some of his work in Super Metroid. It, it's it's a Metroid track through and through. Uh, you know what's so wonderful is you enter this this uh, space frigate in the introduction of the game, and then later on in the game on Talon 4, you enter it and it's underwater. It's crashed, and it's just this this feeling of sadness, and it feels like so much time has passed since you were on it. And I don't know, you enter this big, huge room, and this music plays, and I don't know, it's just a moment of beauty that definitely wouldn't have been possible in previous generations. The graphics and uh, the, the gravity and the music all coming together. It's a very unforgettable experience, and, and it's definitely an example of how modern video games and video game music can be so immersive. And when I think about that article I read earlier, that immersion through submersion, this is a perfect example of that. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, the music of the Metroid games, I think, is very humble and often unappreciated. It's one of the yeah. reasons I wanted to make that album, Child of the Chozo, is to kind of shine a light through original music what's so great about the stuff that's already there. Because I think oftentimes when uh, music is really doing its job, and if that job requires it to be a little bit out of the way or ambient, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we might take it for granted. Um, but yeah, the, the Metroid games are, have, I just think, some of the greatest and most effective video game music in any series. Um, this is such a beautiful piece. There's some things that are very interesting about it to me, outside of just the harmonic beauty, uh, the instrument choices. Uh, it makes sense that he's using piano here because it's it's a much more emotional thing. And the piano, I think, kind of hits at, kind of tugs at our heartstrings and hits that more emotional human quality. But he also uses it as like a synthesizer. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. And then, and it's sort of fading out. And it's mixed together with those synth spacey instruments. Which is really interesting. I, I don't really know why he does that. I think it's incredibly effective, but <laughs> it's one of those things, it, you know, if I if we were ever able to interview him, that would definitely be something I'd be curious to, to pick his mind over how he came to that. Maybe he just wanted sort of a consistency of sound, but it's Yeah, like great. I said before, it's a standout moment in the game, and for me, this is a standout piece of music in this entire soundtrack. It's absolutely exquisite. Um, I, yeah, oh my gosh, I love this so much. You know, I will say... We're not shying away from the famous beloved stuff today. And one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is being able to play some of my favorite music more than once, you know, if if we have a topic that warrants it and if we have a different way to look at it. And, and I'm so glad, you know, what we said about this track well, that's a good point. today, I don't think we've ever said before, we've played this piece of music before, but today we're kind of focusing on how do these tracks evoke the immersion through submersion. So it's so no, much fun. I, I completely agree. Yeah, let's listen to it again. Okay, round two. <laughs> One more time. Well, you know, we're going to move on to another beloved track for us. This is from Sonic the Hedgehog 3 for the Sega Genesis. We're going to play Hydrocity Act 1, or if you prefer, Hydro City Act 1, composed by Sega Sound Team. Let's take a listen to this very funky piece of music.
so good, folks. You guys are listening to Hydro City or Hydrocity, Zone Act 1 from Sonic 3, composed by Sega Sound Team. Uh, hard to know for sure. Um, there is some speculation that MJ, as well as his team, Brad, Buxer, and company, uh, worked on this piece of music. Uh, it sounds like that to me, um, but there's also some talented Japanese composers that worked on this uh, game as well. Uh, it feels very MJ. It feels 90s. It's funky. One thing that I particularly enjoyed this time listening to it for the millionth time in my life is there's actually two bass instruments. There's the the normal bass instrument that most of the track plays, which is kind of that, to me, it sounds like they're trying to evoke a fretless bass. Uh, It's a little bit more um, warm. But every once in a while, there's one note here and there that features the slap bass. So it really does feel like it's trying to um, evoke a performance, like a bassist that every once in a while is hitting it harder, and then other times he's hitting it softer. And I think it's a great way to do that uh, on this FM chip. This is just such a groovy track. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, something I was thinking about is um, what makes Sonic music, especially, I guess, at this time, special. And it's that carrying over the qualities of the character and just the fun of playing the game takes a precedent over scoring the environment necessarily. I think there's some attributes of this track that go along with the water sense. I think particularly the slower tempo Mm -hmm. works with this level because when you're moving underwater, he's a little bit more lethargic. So I think the tempo is a big part of So, Will, you think in general... Uh, the idea of this track was trying to convey the attitude of Sonic and not so much the environment? Well, I, I think all the music in the, in these games, it, it, there's a it's a little bit more of a through line. Sure. You know, you think about Super Mario Brothers and you go underground and then the yeah. music's like atonal. It's more and like you film go underwater score, and changes it's this on classical dime, waltz. Yeah. Or I guess it's just more like a cartoon music. You know, it's switching mm-hmm. on a dime depending on the environment in this case as opposed to the action because that would be impossible. Well, you know... Well, that's a really interesting point. You know what I kind of hear when I hear this track now and I think back about the historical context? You know, we've only had one water level before this, and it was really Labyrinth Zone. I mean, a little bit of water in Aquatic Ruin. Um, but so the fact that you have an entire level underwater, I think this the, the main intention of this track was to be as cool and hip as possible because it's a very cool moment when you fall under the water. And I think if the music was obnoxious or was creepy it it probably because the thing is this level itself isn't that fun it's slow it's i don't know the fact that the music is so fun and, and groovy it actually makes playing the level like 50 percent more entertaining just because of this music well i i think that's an interesting part of the sonic games because you know you think about mario you can finish that water level so quickly you right. know you're done in like 45 seconds so it, it's this relatively small chunk of time it, but with sonic hydrocity it it really is a level kind of it takes just as long as the one that came before takes it a long takes time, just yeah. as long as the one after it so it, it it needs to feel a little bit more like you're just playing a level rather than like something crazy happened mm-hmm. and it's kind of underscoring it that way i think it relates to the character of sonic in general and kind of sega's approach to the marketing where it's yeah. like the most important thing is that it's fun and Sonic is cool and everything is about the character and the attitude. And, and that's all what you that. get in and this track. Yeah. The music's job in these games is 
is a little bit less um, score-like in mm-hmm. more just about creating poppy tunes. And usually to me, the environments are evoked with instruments or sometimes little musical cliches. Like I think mm-hmm. of Aquatic Ruins. Do-ee, with the, sure. yeah. Or, you know, cas- Casino Night Zone, trying to evoke a little bit of that. But, you know, on top of everything, it's just about writing really catchy poppy melodies. And I think that's my favorite thing about the sonic music. Well, now we're going to move on to um, an archetypal piece of music for underwater. This is Underwater from Super Mario Brothers. This, in a lot of ways, started it all. You know, this whole episode wouldn't exist. A lot of things wouldn't exist without this game. This was, of course, composed by Koji Kondo. came out in 1985 for the NES. Let's take a listen to this very beloved piece of music. It's Underwater from Super Mario Brothers. You guys are listening to Underwater from Super Mario Brothers, composed by Koji Kondo. I will say that, you know, in some ways it is it is hard to think of what can we really say that hasn't been said about this piece of music, but I think we can rise to the challenge. I think there are some things we can say today that we haven't said before about Underwater. Well, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, it was a great idea to, to write the music in this style. For me, it kind of feels like carnival-like, like almost like a carousel. Uh, this level is kind of a gimmick as far as the game goes because it's a complete completely different gameplay, completely different pace. So what do you think, first of all, about how Koji Kondo approached this genre and then um, what he was able to do implementationally? Well, I think at that time, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, kind of ever-present video game music in most games. You know, mm-hmm. there'd be these little jingles. And I think it's fair to say that of that, it was pretty much all in 4-4 time. So I think the initial conception of this piece is really the idea of it, of making kind of a waltz, of using 3-4 mm-hmm. time to evoke the feeling, kind of almost feeling it in one. Bup, bup. Yep, yep. Yep, feeling that kind of bounce because I, I'm sure he played through the game and noticed that the way you control Mario's swimming isn't kind of omnidirectional. You just press one button and he jumps up. And so there was almost like, because you mentioned a carousel, Carl. It's almost like a merry-go-round, it how it just goes but, up you know, and down. It, I think those were some of the things that were influencing his musical choice. I think so, too. But it, it is worth mentioning that, you know, because the gameplay was different and the the pace was different and, and the type of level was so different, you know, going from the side-scroller where you definitely know where to go and what to do to going underwater and it's it's harder you have to learn a new control scheme and the music completely changed it was nothing like the overworld right. theme and i think that was the right choice well see the, i want to talk about the music of of this though because we, we can talk about kind of its effect but the thing that so just continually blows my mind about this piece is just the nature of the composition to mm-hmm. me it's like I, i'm really curious to know um koji kondo's uh formal knowledge of music theory because it seems like he follows the rules and breaks the rules at the most perfect and beautiful times the I, the mm. opening of this piece i think is genius that line alone is chromatic and beautiful and kind of evokes the 19th century which i think he's supposed to but the fact that it starts with one pitch it starts on a d and it kind of splits off these two lines moving in different directions mm-hmm. it's really beautiful um in but 
but what I was talking about is that part to me feels like, you know, very much, you know, oh, this person really understands their theory. But then you have certain, um, you know, chords and certain shifts that happen that violate uh, some classical music rules. But they start to evoke, like you were saying, Carl, almost this carousel quality. It's so um, great. Because you have, yeah, da, 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 da. But then we mm-hmm. have, da, da, da. And that moment, it, it evokes this it's really interesting chord, which is kind of this uh, uh this ninth chord which feels a little bit yeah it, it feels a little bit more like vaudeville well or the something. last thing that i i think you're so right well the last thing i want to say uh and it is musical but it seems like it's an economical choice because you only have three voices and a lot of the melodies harmonized the bass is able to almost act as an arpeggio to outline the chords you know doing the one three five one three five well, and it's the only thing that's keeping it with the feeling of a waltz exactly. that, that's why you know if you listen to the all-stars version it does the actual kind of um waltz pattern the sure. where he wasn't really able to do that because you only have three voices so you have melody and harmony, and then the bass line is doing arpeggios to give you the feeling. I'm of really three. happy that we still play these pieces. I think there's a lot of people that that would write them off. Oh, it's just too overplayed. It's too well known. But that doesn't mean that there's not more things to say about. It. I mean, I think there's a reason this track was so beloved is because it's wonderful. It was the right choice in 1985, and it's still the right choice. I mean, if if we ever do another, if we ever do another uh, breakdown and analysis, this I, would be I a great really want to do uh, the underwater. It's a great idea. We got some suggestions to do another one of those. Well, now we're going to move on to Kirby's Superstar, and we're going to play a piece of music called Float Islands, which I believe was originally composed for an earlier entry, maybe uh, Kirby's Dreamland. But we're going to play the Superstar version, composed by Jun Ishikawa. So good. This is a Kirby piece of music right here. So different from what we've heard before. Float Islands from Kirby Superstar, composed by Juni Shikawa. And it's so great because it's what's so clear about Kirby music is it starts, you know, in some ways it feels par for the course. Uh, this kind of feels like your typical tropical, you know, video game track reminds you of Mario Kart, reminds you of Mario, a lot of a lot of things you've heard before. But the the final section is so much more jazzy and has these very quick and limber modulations that you do not get in Mario, Mario Kart, and a lot of other series. And Juni Shikawa, his love of jazz music and fusion music comes across even in a song like this. Like, a lot of people wouldn't consider this jazz, but there's, there's elements of jazz chord changes in here, and I think that's what makes it so fun, and it makes it so different from music of Mario, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of thing of having an idea and then repeating it sequentially up a minor third, which feels very jazzy, but honestly has its roots in classical music. In classical music terminology, you would call that modulation a third relation. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, you'd never have something as jazzy as that, but it's interesting. It's like there's certain kind of primal forces that dictate it. I think a problem is like when you focus too much on the rules of something or why something is happening a certain way and kind of forgetting that, you know, those rules only came after studying music that was written intuitively by people really trying to just do what they thought 
sounded good. Right. And that's what's so interesting. You find so many similarities between jazz theory and classical theory. And what's so great about video games is it's a beautiful melting pot to put all that stuff together. Here, here. Now let's move on to another more modern entry. This is Dark Cloud 2, and this was composed by Tamahito Nishura. Let's take a listen to Venicio Coast. You guys are listening to Venicio Coast from Dark Cloud 2. This came out for the PS2, composed by Tamahito Nishura, who's a talented composer that um, has made a lot of splashes in his Professor Layton series work. Uh, Will, what do you think about Venicio Coast? I like it. Yeah, I think it's really pretty. I like that flute melody. I was saying it reminds me a lot of the music to the Animal Crossing games. Hmm. Yeah, I can hear that too, especially in the instrument department. Very awesome. Guys, I couldn't be more excited to move on to this week's track of the week. One of the easiest choices we've ever had to make. We were in complete agreement this week. Uh, The track of the week is from Super Mario 64. It is Dire Dire Docks. I have no qualms in saying this is the most effective and I would say best underwater theme in video games. It couldn't be more immersive, atmospheric, but also fun, melodic. It feels like a classic Mario theme, but for a new generation. And the other thing about a great artist, a great composer, is that the best thing that anybody else can do is just try to copy what they've already done. But that doesn't bring you the greatest thing because there's nothing in this piece of music that is reminiscent at all from what you sort of come to expect to be the traditions for underwater music in Mario games, which is primarily the idea that it needs to be in 3-4 and kind of the harmonic structure. This is completely different. It's unlike any other piece of music he'd ever written up until this point. This is Dire Dire Docks composed by Koji Kondo.
10 out of 10. That is Dire Dire Docks from Super Mario 64, composed by Koji Kondo. And Will made some great points about how bold of a choice this was, but did it ever pay off? And one of the most exciting things in music is when someone you love, uh, a voice that you love, a composer, a band, goes off in a different direction, but it's still just as good because they're still talented. And even if it's not what you've come to expect from that person, it's good because they are, like in Koji Kondo's case, he's a wonderful musician, a wonderful composer with impeccable instincts. And his choice to, to do a track like this was not only the right choice for the game, but this is one of the pieces of music that holds up almost more than anything in the whole series. I, I gotta say, guys, anytime I play this on the keyboard, whether it's at a show or practicing or just, you know, around, people always comment, oh my gosh, that's the water theme from Mario 64. It's so recognizable and beloved and it's just perfect. You know, it's funny, I, I've had, I had the exact same experience. Um, people always seem to recognize this one and yeah. get really excited about it. The same kind of thing happens if you play like Zelda's Lullaby or yes. something from yes. uh, any of the Zelda games. Um, but yeah, the, one of the things that I think makes Koji Kondo, it puts him up there with some of the all-time great composers, is he has such a distinctive voice. You know, like we were talking about, stylistically, um, I guess in terms of genre, this is a very different type of piece. Mm -hmm. But so many of his harmonic and melodic sensibilities just shine through that there's no other person that would have written this than Koji Kondo. I mean, we've talked <laughs> right. about this before, but that melody that, ah, it's just perfect. It feels so restrained, almost as if the melody was composed without the harmony changing, as if it's all over that one chord, because so much of it is arpeggiating the triad or the simple motion, but the harmony underneath it makes every single note in the melody incredibly evocative and beautiful. You're so right. Another thing that I love about this is there needs to be a sense of mystery and uncertainty to this track and the way that Koji Kondo does that is it's not really in a key because it starts off arpeggiating G major so okay yeah I'm in G but then it goes to F and F is not in the key of G but then he goes right after that to E flat and then goes back to F there's times when he goes to D so it's kind of in a key but it's also kind of not in a key um, it, it, it's so good it, but it's beautiful well, melodies it's in that Koji Kondo mode where the where the seventh is flat and the sixth is flat yep. and all, it just the oscillation between those chords is so it's beautiful it's endless and it's perfect oh god yeah. it's gorgeous you know there's a lot we could say about this track we've, we've said a lot of it before I think it has been track of the week before maybe in our mario 64 episode one thing i just want to say give you little guys warning i think this episode is going to be a long one so hopefully you guys can strap in and enjoy this because i don't want to cut anything short because these tracks are so good so this will be a long one today um with that said i think we should move on to final fantasy we're going to play final fantasy 5 uh, for the super famicom this was composed by nobuo uimatsu let's take a listen to beyond the deep blue sea
so beautiful. You guys are listening to Beyond the Deep Blue Sea. This is from Final Fantasy V, composed by Nobuo Uimasu. In a similar vein to the Dragon Quest track we played, uh, I would say it's in that same school, and it shouldn't be surprising because it's from another RPG game, uh, showing a little bit more of the uncertainty that underwater can bring. Um, but it's it's beautiful, and it's and it's immersive and, it, and you know the way that he is evoking instrumentally I think water is with that arpeggiated harp to me that sounds like water for some reason like even if I didn't know this was uh, a track that took place underwater it really reminds me of that what, what are some things to you Will that might remind you of water well, it almost feels like I, I don't know impressionist like it feels like the like Debussy or something just kind of mm-hmm. the fact that it, so much of it is oscillating between these two chords and they were both these uh, major seventh chords it had this very dreamlike quality to it that it wasn't really progressing anywhere it was just this idea a little bit of stasis oscillating between these two pitches very kind of wondrous and in ambiguity in terms of the emotion which I think you know is perfect for underwater something that because you mentioned the Dragon Quest that both of them did is the idea of the sort of pizzicato strings as evoking underwater again we have that idea of the delay effect trying to evoke that atmosphere as well. But the pizzicato strings in both of them was something. It's possible just that sample kind of had an aquatic timbre to it. So in another way that video game music is so exciting is because, for example, if you're talking about underwater, they're using tried and true cliches, such as those pizzicato strings. How many cartoons and movies have we seen where they do that for underwater? It's so so heavily used. So they're using those, those previous musical cliches before video games were a thing, but now they're incorporating them with more modern techniques, you know, with like such as delay and more production things and more vibey things that that weren't really possible before. So it's a very exciting fusion. Uh, let's move on to Okami for the PS2. This is composed by very talented gentleman Rai Kondo, who's done some great work. Let's take a listen to Inside the Water Dragon. You guys are listening to Inside the Water Dragon, very mysterious, from Okami, 
beautiful soundtrack, and I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but we are going to have an episode on Okami later on in the season. It was one of our Patreon suggestions. Uh, Rai Kondo composed this, done some great work uh, in the Fire Emblem series as of late. He's also one of the composers credited to the very soon-to-be-released Star Fox Zero, which we're going to wait and see. We're going to wait to pass judgment on that. Uh, I hope it's going to be good, but I don't have a lot of confidence. Will, let's talk about this track. What do you think about this Inside the Water Dragon? And me, one thing I'll say is, other than aquatic ambience, it's probably the most vibey and atmospheric piece of music today. Is you know, it's not trying to rely on a catchy, simple melody. I really think that Tiny Tunes track was uh, (laughs) (laughs) kind of can't get more vibey than that. Yeah. I mean, the uh, underwater frigate reactor from Metroid sure. Prime was pretty vibey. Yeah, the thing is that uh, what's so great about Metroid Prime is it's vibey but so melodic, which is so rare. We almost It's almost hard to get, because like, you're right, in some ways that Metroid Prime track was the most atmospheric and vibey, but it also is so purely melodic, which this track, um, that's not the intention of. I will say of all this, the biggest cliche that I've noticed is the delay thing, the repeated rhythm. And it's not just like a delay effect. I mean, specifically mm-hmm. musically, like sure. where it's like it's intentionally getting quieter. It's supposed to sound like an echo. It works. It's happened in practically every single track that we played Well, today. talk about Vibe. Let's move on to Super Metroid. And we're going to go back to Kenji Yamamoto as well. This as is one of my favorites. The wonderful Monaco Hamano. Let's take a listen to Meridia, also known as Rocky Un underwater area from Super Metroid. wonderful you guys are listening to meridia from super metroid now will i get the sense that this was potentially one of the most influential pieces of music for you for child of the chozo at least for this kind of subset of 16-bit uh am i correct in that assumption i wouldn't say that i, I it's it's hard I, there 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 were a few tracks that were direct influences but other than that um i think the biggest influence was honestly when i was working on that album i played through every single game in the series and just kind of immersed myself in that world so in some sense you could say that's true i adore Mm -hmm. this track though and the music in meridia i i had a special kind of fondness for when i was working on the album because it had always been my least favorite part of the game and I started to appreciate why and it felt intentional because the music is a little bit unsettling it doesn't make you feel like you're that everything's gonna work out or that you're safe it's very depressing well has it been said before by you or me that there is a callback to Craig's theme subtly here because I heard that like about 20 seconds ago it's like if it's not a direct callback it's it feels like it is, and what's, that's what's so great, because this is the same series. There's this one moment, I don't know if you're going to hear it again, but the, the, it feels like there's a callback to the Kraids theme. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I want to go over this one. I think mm-hmm. the da 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 you could say is reminiscent of the da 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 da. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'd want to take another listen. It would make sense if that were the case because I'm pretty sure the area of Meridia. I mean, Super Metroid takes place on the same planet um, as the original Metroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zebes is what it's called. And I think it's possible Meridia is kind of like that same location, but now it's underwater. Or maybe it's just a coincidence. Yeah, honestly, that was the first time I ever heard that. It could be a coincidence, but that was that was cool. Yeah, that's, oh, that's such a great track. It's so atmospheric and very ahead of its time. Very, very good stuff. Um, modern underwater music. You know, this, this is not, you know, 18th century underwater music by any means. Let's take a listen to a track from Super Mario Sunshine. I know we've had a lot of Mario music. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, how much there is today. But that shouldn't be surprising. A um, lot of great underwater levels in Mario well, games. Well, this is a water-themed game. We this have is one this. of my absolute favorites. I love this track. It's another very vibey, atmospheric, memorable part of the game. This is called Underwater exploration it's a one specific shine uh that's part of noki bay so it takes place under noki bay uh composed this game uh composed by koji kondo and most likely this track shinobu tanaka very pretty stuff let's take a listen to underwater exploration i just want to ask that you guys all close your eyes sit back and relax to this piece of music just always been one of my favorites i really love listening to this piece of music you guys are listening to underwater exploration from super mario sunshine and i'm pretty sure this track was composed by shinobu tanaka there's really no way that koji kondo composes it doesn't really sound like him um there's not quite his level of intention i will say it's not quite as um airtight as something he would compose but i really really like what she was going for on this piece it's very sweet and um, exploratory, and you feel the vastness here, and it uses a lot of the techniques that we've talked about today. Has an arpeggiated harp, similar to other pieces of music we've heard. A lot of reverb, a lot of um, synth pads that are coming in. But again, you know, similar to that Metroid Prime track, what I love so much about this piece of music is while it's very atmospheric and moody, it's also melodic, and there's a clear melody that you could sit down and play this on the piano, and I think um, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, there's also some aspects of it to it that just feel very free form. That part oh, that, yeah. that just happened, the ba da 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 ba da da 
Um, but I really like almost that. Just, it's completely out of time. It, mm -hmm. It's like a destruction of the meter. Um, it, it gives it kind of like a folk. Already it has this like pastoral quality. It feels like folk music or something. Yeah, I really um, can't put my finger really on pretty why I love innocent. this so much. Yeah, that, that moment felt like like bagpipe kind of things where it's just like completely free. I imagine <laughs> this was just kind of written at the piano with no concept of meter and yeah. you know, the beat where it's just very free. Again, it's always hard to separate the nostalgia and this was one of my favorite um, levels maybe because it wasn't that stressful really. You know, it's slow paced and a lot of this game can be fairly stressful so maybe that's a reason. Let's move on to Rayman Origins and oh my gosh, you just have to kind of brace yourself anytime you're about to listen to this because it's a very powerful piece of music. So, so good. Um, this is the Lum's Dream. This is one of my favorite things ever yeah. in the world. Yeah, on our second uh, Greatest Hits installment we did a couple years ago, this was like our track of the year <laughs> for that year. This um, is track of my life. <laughs> oh, track my God. of your life. I think we had to, you know, we picked between this and uh, Magical Voice Shower, oh my gosh. which is just That's unfair. so unfair because those should never, ever go up against each other. Uh, I believe this was composed, this particular track by Christoph. Haral. Billy Martin worked on this game as well. Let's take a listen to The Lum's Dream. music it's this crazy combination of feelings because it's this high-pitched lum so it's silly and part of me laughs and part of me is just like moved in my heart and my soul of how beautiful this is in these really complex dissonant 20th century style harmonies right it's just why would he think of doing how did What's he ever so come up with this it's one of my favorite things, you know, a, a composer who's so talented, yet they understand what their duty is. Their duty is to, you know, give their 110% for the tone of the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this game is so tongue-in-cheek and silly. I think in order for this to be funny, it had to be such a well-composed piece. The humor yeah. was out of, like, what if you had this really beautiful piece of music, but it was sung by these silly, goofy lums it's all like part of the joke but the thing is it's not something easy to achieve because in order to do that you actually have to write a great piece of music that <laughs> right. is kind of infallible and beautiful that's not that hard but it, it's that amazing you really achieve something special and memorable honestly if this didn't have those lums 
even as yeah. it is like such a beautiful piece of music, I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of wouldn't stick well, in your well, mind. Well, you made a great point, and we've talked about it many times, the juxtaposition of having something beautiful with something silly, but in this case, it's not that silly, so it kind of weighs, the scale weighs in the favor of sure. beautiful versus silly, but you're right, if this was regular just human voices, I don't think we would appreciate quite as much how beautiful it is, because you hear that juxtaposition, and you're like, well, wow. I think the other thing that we have to talk about is this is an arrangement of a theme. Um, the um, right, that's right. That that's an idea that's expressed earlier on in the level, and this is as you swim deeper, it becomes beautiful. So it's kind of like I think his idea of scoring the environment while keeping the same material and the same idea of these lums singing. It's just so much fun. And something that I noticed actually that arpeggiation with that kind of watery gamelani mm-hmm. instrument, really beautiful. It actually reminded me of uh, the Meridia track that we just played. what you mean. Both in terms of the instrument and the specifics of the part. So that's it's really the exact same piece of music. <laughs> no. uh, let's move on to something very different. Uh, and this is kind of the school, I think similar to Hydrocity Zone, where we're not going to write anything that's watery at all. It's just going to be a great rocking track that... You know, yeah, it's going to take place in the water, but we're not concerned with that. And that's kind of the style of this track. It's from Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. This is Aquarius, and this game was composed by Yoshinori Sasaki, Jun Funahashi, and Yuki Morimoto. Enjoy. You guys are listening to Aquarius from Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. You may have noticed this is from the NES version, not that um, extended VRC6 version. This is composed by a lot of talented composers for Konami. Will, what are your thoughts on Aquarius? Um, I, I love Castlevania 3. I think it's one of my favorites in the series. You know, it's interesting. This one, I love the chords. I love the groove. I love that intro, but I'm not, I've never been particularly taken by the melody. Oh, okay. It feels a little bit not as thoroughly composed as some of the other things. I think I know almost what you're kind saying. of like a, it's just like a little bit too much Castlevania. You know, it's like where they're they're really and I think they did an amazing job of expanding on the vocabulary that Sato Terashimo and Kinyo Yamashita created with the original Castlevania. Really, kind of expanding upon that same vocabulary, but there's a limit to what you can do. And to me, melodically, this track feels a little bit kind of like a reiteration of something that might be better. Well, to me, what I hear, um, and I don't, I, I don't think it was for lack of trying. I just think the, you know, the priorities of this piece of music. It feels like the melody was an afterthought, and it feels like the groove in the chords was actually the main focus of of this piece of music. Um, and that was actually more clear to me on the NES version 
than it was on the VRC6 version because I think you can be distracted by the fun, you know, different instruments when you're just listening to this. Uh, yeah, you can tell the melody isn't quite as uh, clear and strong. Um, and just kind of um, separate as, as some of the stuff we've heard today. Well, and it's not that it's too complex. It is simple. It's just not that good, I don't think. You know, like, it, it follows a sort of symmetrical pattern. Da -da 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 -da, da -da 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 -da. Like, I, I get what they're, they're doing. It's just like, it's a little bit campy. I don't know. There's something about it that's, like, silly. There's nothing kind of cool about it the way that hmm. like, you think of the opening of this game and just how badass everything I don't, is. Yeah, I don't hear that silliness. I mean, for me, it doesn't feel any anything like out of place. Um, this track still feels like a standout to me. I th just think the rhythmic the rhythmic drive of it is so great. And overall, like I really love listening to this track. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's one of the strongest melodies of the game. But I think in general, I think this is uh, it's probably one of my favorite tracks to listen to just because I think that rhythmic drive is just very feel good. Uh, okay, now let's move on to something very different. This is from Mario Kart 8, and it was cool that we got to play a track from this series. And, you know, what better track to play on this episode, Under the Sea, than Water Park? Because <laughs> this was composed by Shiho Fuji, who we've already heard from today. Uh, the track we played in with was composed by her as well. Let's take a listen to Water Park from Mario Kart 8. <laughs> You guys are listening to Water Park from Mario Kart 8. This was composed by Shiho Fuji. The thing that I love about this track is the rhythm section's really locking in. Uh, the, the electric bass and the drums are doing like a really great kind of Latin rock groove, which I think works so well. It's fun to have real steel drums, real brass and stuff. I don't know, I just think this, uh, this track, for me, it's all about kind of the performances and about hearing real players play something that is kind of stereotypically Mario Kart, you know, th there's not really anything about this piece of music that feels like brand new. It kind of feels like it's kind of the same cliches. My, my thoughts on this are exactly the same as that uh, Aquarius piece where it's just, uh, I don't know, there, there, it just seems like a, a little bit too much trying to be an impression of what's come before and it's really missing the point of what makes the original stuff great. Like this is trying to capture the feeling of Mario music or Mario Kart music, but there's almost something insulting about it. Like the melody is so silly and it does feel like an afterthought to the point that it's like just, it becomes a bad impression rather than Well, the melody, I, I would agree with you that in both of these tracks, the melody is not the focal point. And for me, my enjoyment of this particular track 
track is definitely not the melody. I think for me, my enjoyment of this track is the performances, the actual players. The rhythm section, I think, is is just really groovy, and it's it's fun to have that in a Mario Kart game. And in general, I just think I just think the thing though, it's trying to make something catchy, and it's just it's too notey. It's too much like relying on chord tropes I don't from the Mario series, but it's not really earning any of those things. But still, I mean, I think you know when you're playing Mario Kart and you hear this. I, I still am very impressed with almost every track I heard in Mario Kart 8 because, you know, if this was in Mario Kart 7, first of all, it would be all fake and it would honestly, it would be way more obnoxious and inappropriate. Were this like, for me... Well, I mean, yeah, no question, but I mean, the, the thing is, I, I mean, we just have to be obje- objective about these things. It's like, yeah, Mario Kart music had been terrible and right. now it's not terrible. Now it's good, but like it's on compared the upswing, to the sure. other things that we've played on the episode today, I mean, there's just no comparison. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's not much craft in terms of this piece. It feels very kind of quickly a little bit thoughtless. I don't know. I've never been a well, big yeah, fan Well, yeah, I mean, I think one. in general, the amount of time that was worked on this track was probably mostly in the production and the, the you know, the recording of it and the people playing it. I, I think it was probably, you're right, probably fairly quickly composed. Um, and you can hear that, but uh, overall, I think the track is fun to listen to, maybe for other reasons than the melody, at least for me. Uh, let's move on to another NES title. This is, oh my gosh, this is so iconic. We're going to move on to Super Mario Brothers 3, composed by Koji condo let's take a listen to the underwater theme from that game but we're going to play the all-stars version since we didn't do that for the first game we wanted to show you guys uh if some of you i don't know been living under a rock your whole life don't know what the all-star version sounds like this is the all-star version of the underwater theme from mario 3 You guys are listening to Underwater, All-Stars version from Mario 3, composed by Koji Kondo, implemented and arranged by Soyo Oka. She did a great job of kind of elevating, in my mind, the beauty of this track and, you know, what, what Koji was going for and really what he probably would have ended up doing. When you listen to Mario World, it's such similar arrangement. Um, and so really it feels like a perfect, you know, 16-bit rendition of Underwater. I think this is wonderful. What's so interesting, the bass is, it's a sample of the triangle bass sound from the NES. Isn't that great? And so it's essentially, that voice is identical to what exists in um, You know, Will, uh, I think there's a really clear reason why that was done. I think she tried other instruments, and it you lost something. There was something yeah. that was lost from the charm of it. I think the other thing is it's a pretty high part. It's not really a bass line. It's a melodic mm-hmm. line, and so I think something with too much timbral color might somehow get in the way. That, that synth is just so perfect, and it, it has this aquatic sound to it that she probably wasn't able to 
capture. Um, again, we hear that sort of delay effect, but I, I just want to talk about uh, the melody and just the composition here. This has always been one of my absolute favorites because what's interesting, um, you know, going from the original Super Mario Brothers, I think a lot of people would assume that uh, his next chance to do something like this would result in a similar piece, another you know, waltz, something in three, four. But it's another, not, yeah. But this isn't, and it's still it to me is evoking some uh, qualities of romantic music, the kind of uh, harmonized chromatic. Yeah, no, you're lines so right. Feels very much of the 19th century. Um, but the, it's just a beautiful piece. And so he captures the underwater essence to me through that. The timbre. Well, you know, one thing that I will say is um, I, I think uh, the Mario one underwater theme is probably a better piece of music. It's probably more timeless and iconic and incredibly airtight. But this, in my mind, captures the underwater feeling better. And this puts me in that environment. Sure. Even just listening to this, I feel like I'm submerged underwater. And I think that is what is so impressive. Uh, and, you know, especially when you think about the NES. Well, that's what's like the, the music to the original um, Super Mario Brothers is so pure. It's like every single thing you get is the most extreme expression of that emotion you know it's it's crazy mm -hmm. there's nothing like it and there's so few themes that they're just so memorable we're here you know we get a lot of different kinds of things there's there's more music in this game and it's a lot of different types of expression for koji kondo yeah i also think these underwater levels are different there's a lot more freedom to where you can go you're not just moving from left to right anymore now you can go down you can go up there's a lot of hidden areas hidden I think, warp pipes yeah yeah the the idea of the um feeling the waltz kind of in this one as far as how Mario almost like hops through the level seemingly it was sort of gone and so mm -hmm. I, I imagine him playing through this felt like oh th this could be something in 4-4 and there could be other ways of evoking well, underwater. Well you know the, the last thing I want to say is this piece feels like the sister piece to the, the clouds theme in Mario 3. It's a very similar theme you know that harmonized chromaticism that sense of mystery. That's what I think is so great is this game has its own musical style like it feels like he's continuing from what he established really in mario 2 it kind of feels like it's taking some of those um a little bit more over the top um, musical genres and continuing that but it has its own style you know there's really not another mario game that has that particular sense of mystery that well, this game does. the thing that it captures also the other thing is just Koji Kondo's taste for melody and harmony are just so exquisite, you know, it, even if it doesn't sound like anything else, if it sounds like Koji Kondo, it's it's beautiful. And I don't mean that as kind of a cop out or like a fanboyish remark, but I just mean his instincts for harmony are just so satisfying and give you such a sense. Can of completion. you think of another composer like sing quick for me, sing the melody of this track? Can you think of another composer who would write a melody like this? There's something about it I mean, that's it's so, so beautiful. Kondo there's something about it. Yeah, I think you, that you're getting at is that there's something complex seemingly about it, mm -hmm. which is a lot of those leaps in a lot of kind of tritony intervals. But the thing that we have to remember is also it has that same restrained quality. He's landing on some of the same notes. It almost seems like there's only like six individual pitches mm -hmm. in that whole theme and it's just awesome my favorite part them. about 
um, the melody as far as when it's harmonized is the bum 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 that that um, leading tone right, when it's the harmonized leading tone thing it, yeah exactly I mean I think that was sort of the origins of the piece well guys we have one more track to play for you today it's shovel knight. Uh, it's a thousand leagues below. This is the also known as Iron Whale, and it was composed by Manami Matsumai, one of the two pieces of music she contributed to Shovel Knight. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to A Thousand Leagues Below, also known as Iron Whale, from Shovel Knight, composed by the wonderful Manami Matsumai. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. I had a great time preparing and and sharing all this music. A lot of it we have loved for years, but that's one of my favorite things, is is replaying uh, great pieces of music in a different light. And, you know, I think we were able to shine a light on how this music works for the setting, the underwater setting, but really just listening to it on its own, um, it holds up so well. Especially, you know, some of these melodies were written in 1985 and we're still talking about them today. Uh, I think that's a testament to, you know, how good this music is. I had a wonderful time. One of the awesome things about art is that you give a thousand people the same task and they're all going to come <laughs> up with something different. Right. I mean, all of these games were different and so they were scoring different kinds of things. But in general, you know, it's a lot of different composers all trying to capture the same or a very similar emotion. And look at how diverse this playlist is. I mean, yeah, we found a lot of similarities, but those were mostly on kind of a surface level aesthetic quality, less to do with the nature of the composition very itself. True. And I think that's what's so fun is that we can do an alter specific topic like this where it's only level themes and you think so much of it would just start to sound samey and be familiar but it's just that wonderful thing about artistic expression like i said before i think part of that in today's context comes from i said this up top that i think the potential of underwater is so vast and there's so much to be done so many different ways to approach it uh, way more diverse than desert music. Yeah. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point because you think about like swimming, you know, it can be fun, it can be an activity, it can be mysterious, you know, and looming. It can be frightening and, you know, mm-hmm. there's all And then kinds there's of stuff. guys, 
we're well aware that there's so many things that we miss. You know, we could have 10 volumes of underwater music. You know, some great Zelda stuff, like the ocean theme from Wind Waker. You know, it's more of your Zora's domain. Um, you know, the water temple. There's so many great things we could have done today. And we, maybe we'll come back to this. If you guys like this episode, let us know if you want to feature another volume of this. We're going to play you out with a track from Chrono Cross. It's called Voyage Another World by Yasunori Mitsuda. Again, one more reminder uh, coming up, I think, is it in... I don't think it's next week. It's it's pretty soon we're going to be doing listener show and tell. So get those picks in. Uh, yeah, this has a, been a great time. Uh, we want to remind you guys you can you can check out our website at supermarcadobros.com where you can find every episode of the show as well as our original music. Uh, we also have uh, interviewed a lot of great composers. You can check out all those interview episodes. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, I believe that's it. And yeah, as some of you uh, may know when we went to magfest this past year we had so many incredible opportunities one of the most amazing ones was getting to interview manami matsumai yes um we talked a little bit about that on kind of our debriefing we haven't episode. released that uh there's a reason um, but that is why. something that <laughs> it's is, coming uh will be coming uh, soon i'm sure you guys um, know it's just, maybe when we're, we're so going to release it if you know kind of how we structure our seasons um but we can't wait to, to show you guys that interview uh last thing i want to say if if you're new and if you're in, enjoying the show we would love it it would mean the world to us if you wouldn't mind stopping over in itunes and leaving us a review it does help uh, other people discover the show uh but really in any way you want to support us even just listening every week it means the world to us so thanks a lot everybody uh we got to get going here my name is carl brueggemann I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>